the consistency component of it, it's, it, it's tough. It's the most challenging part when it comes to making changes with sleep. But what we have to remember is that for any average person, it takes at least three weeks to really learn a new habit and get it solidified. Welcome to the Parenting ADHD Podcast, where I share insights and strategies on raising kids with ADHD straight from the trenches. I'm your host, Penny Williams. I'm a parenting coach, author, ADHD-aholic, and mindset mama, honored to guide you on the journey of raising your atypical kid. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Parenting ADHD Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be talking to a sleep consultant, Melissa Doman. We're going to talk all things sleep with our kids with ADHD. It's often a struggle that we have, a struggle that our kids have. And so I'm really excited that Melissa is going to be providing some insights and strategies for us on sleep today. Can you start, Melissa, by introducing yourself, who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I my name is Melissa. Um, I I am a sleep consultant, and I work specifically with special needs families to help them, uh, you know, get their kid not only sleeping independently, sleeping well, but really to give them tools and guidance for any potential issues that come up down the line, and just really give parents everything that they need to make sure that their child is is getting a good night's rest so that they can thrive in in all the areas that they need to. Yeah, and I think so often we discount how important sleep really is, how much it contributes to our functioning during our awake times. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, the myth that is often put out there about kids with special needs um regardless of the diagnosis is that oh, they don't need as much sleep and they're just, you know, there's something going on where they, they really don't need quite as much as the average kid. But, you know, nothing can be further from the truth. Uh, you know, when you have a child with any kind of developmental issue, um, the brain has to work that much harder to, to catch up and to, and to develop. So it needs a lot of rest time to make sure that it can kind of recuperate, organize, and and just make sure things are sticking from what they learn, you know, from what a child learns during the daytime. Yeah. And how much sleep do our kids really need? Do you want to break that down a little bit by age? I think, you know, I'm always surprised at how much sleep teens need and how little they actually get. <laughs> They're pretty much way off what they need, but it would be good to outline that for everybody. So we have kind of a target, a goal. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and and that's the tricky thing I think with teens. They they get to a point where they want to be adults and they want to <laughs> they yeah. want to live like adults and sometimes that means that they sleep like adults, which doesn't mean that's what they need. Um, but you know, typically with my with my babies and my toddlers that I work with, usually up until about 5 to 6 years old, I'm encouraging parents to try and get at least 12 hours of sleep. Um, ideally during the night, and of course, maybe a couple more hours with naps during the day. But a lot of kids, even into to the ages of five, six, even close to eight or nine years old, 
they still need a a good solid 12 hours. Um, now there are of course some outliers. Some of my, my children I've worked with who are closer to that age of eight years old, sometimes they can get away with about 10 and a half hours and have a great day the next day. Um, but you know, after the, the age of eight or so, then things start to change a little bit. So usually I'm recommending to my families, um, between the ages of a you know, about eight to 11, maybe we're looking at about 10 hours, a little bit more than 10 hours of sleep. Uh, And as we get closer to the age of 11 and into those teenage years, um, your child should be trying to get at least 10 hours. But as they start to become high school age, getting closer to to nine hours is, is totally acceptable. Yeah. And that's a lot of sleep. That's a, I mean, that's a lot more sleep than most kids are getting and most adults are getting. Yeah. I don't think we are prioritizing it as much as we need to. You know, yeah. If we think about 10 hours of sleep for a kid who has to get up at 6 a.m., that means they're going to bed at 8 p.m. Oh, at the latest. Seems early, right? (laughs) Right. Especially for, you know, a middle school kid or a high school kid. They're not going to sleep anywhere near that early. So it's something to really encourage. I know my son's therapist is talking to him all the time. He's 17 about how he cannot feel good when he doesn't sleep. Right. Feel good when he doesn't eat right. He, you know, and, and trying to really stress the importance of that to him and, and the role that it's playing in the way yeah. that he's feeling from day to day. Let's talk a little bit about common struggles for kids with ADHD, maybe autism, um, common sleep struggles. I know my own son has struggled with falling asleep, with staying cool. asleep, and we have some sensory stuff going on and, that we can talk about too. But sure. let's just start first with what do you see normally as the challenges for this population? Yeah. And, and just to go back to kind of what you were saying about your own son, like for a lot of the older kids that I work with, they've spent years not sleeping well. So they don't even know what it feels like to have a good night's rest. And once that finally starts to happen, I think uh, things start to click for them. They're like, they start to realize, oh yeah, I feel a lot better. I'm a bit more regulated during the day when I'm resting. And this is what my older kids have told me uh, once they start to be start resting better they they just seem a lot more focused and things don't seem as overwhelming in a number of different ways yeah um, but some of the common struggles that I will see you know as you said um, struggling to fall asleep stay asleep but I find that with kids who have been diagnosed with ADHD and for some of my children on the spectrum uh, that that time to fall asleep or that time they're up during the night can be hours, hours. Um, And I, I mean, I've been working as a sleep consultant now for almost four years and it still boggles my mind how common this issue is. Um, You know, many of my moms and dads that reach out to me say, my kid is up at 1.30 a.m. and they won't fall back asleep until five. And it's been happening for months or years. And they don't, they don't know why it's happening. And my, my parents, they, y- you can hear how frustrated they are about it and how concerned they are because they can see on their child's face, like they want to go back to sleep. They literally, there's just something preventing that from happening. 
And that is very common in the beginning of the night as well, where it can take two, over two hours to get to sleep at night. And in addition to that, you know, there, there's the problem of just starting your day at 3 a.m., even with just six hours under your belt. And the tricky thing can be that sometimes kids can get that amount of sleep and they seem totally fine the next day, or they can go another 36 hours without a lot of sleep. But at a certain point, you do kind of hit a wall and (laughs) you really do start to feel that exhaustion. And parents will see that during the daytime, just with how their child, they're experiencing things from a sensory standpoint or the way they're behaving or their language or their balance or coordination, like all of these things at a certain point will start to kind of go off track. And when the sleep is finally starting to get better, parents will start to see that resetting and things flowing the way they should. Yeah. And so I, I hear that same struggle with parents about kids getting waking up in the middle of the night, not being able to go back to sleep or being up for the day at 3 or 4 a.m., so, so often it's super common. Yeah. And, and it's, it's so exhausting. I mean, it's so exhausting for parents and, you know, being a a parent of a special needs child, I mean, there's so much more that goes into that than, you know, the average parent. And I'm not, I'm not knocking (laughs) parents who have neurotypical kids. It's, it's a lot of work, but, um, for my special needs parents, you're a therapist, you're a cook, you're, you're this, you're a, a part-time lawyer. <laughs> um, right, there's so many responses. <laughs> exactly. There's so many things that you have to do for your child. And when your child's not sleeping well, you're not sleeping well. And that exhaustion can, can be really, really wearing, not on just the child, but, but for parents as well. Yeah. It's tough. You know, we need rest just as much as our kids do. We we need it for brain function and and our mood and just being able to feel decent during the day. And, you know, I don't think adults are getting enough sleep either. And especially (laughs) right now when the world is so stressful, I'm personally finding it a lot harder to sleep. But, you know, in quote, normal times, we were still struggling a lot with sleep. And Mm -hmm. Let's talk, I think, a little bit about strategies. So I thought it might be easier to break down strategies into falling asleep strategies and staying asleep strategies. So let's start with falling asleep. What kind of um, strategies and tools do you often find useful for that? Mm -hmm. The first thing that I will encourage my parents to do is really just make sure that their child is getting to bed at a time that they need to. So using that that guideline with how many hours your child needs based on their age, uh, you really need to make sure that they're getting to bed as close to an early time where they could be getting adequate hours. Um, And a lot of times, just making bedtime a bit earlier, even by 30 minutes or so, uh, you're much closer to that window of opportunity where your energy, your child's energy is really dipping at its lowest for the night. And by taking advantage of that, you're, you're preventing overtiredness. And w- when a child is overtired, they, the last thing they want to do is try and get to sleep. They're much more active. They, they're kind of running on fumes though. It's not, it's not like their daytime activity. And it just becomes a lot harder to settle down, wind down. 
Um, so that, that would be the first thing. Uh, the second thing is making sure that your child not only has a consistent bedtime routine, but that your bedtime routine includes things that allows your child's needs to be met. Um, so a lot of times with my bedtime routines that I, I give to my kids and to my families, um, we include a lot of tactile things. We include a lot of things there from an auditory standpoint. Uh, we make sure that there's no screen. So we handle uh, <laughs> any kind of visual right. hypersensitivities. So making sure that as many of the cups are full before bedtime, the brain is going to be in a lot happier state. And it's the brain is basically saying, okay, those needs are met. We're good. Now we can do all this overtime work that we have to do at night because the brain does a lot, a lot of things at night. So yeah, making sure that bedtime is, is, is appropriate for your, for your child and it's going to be on the earlier side and that's, that's totally fine. Um, a consistent bedtime routine where, again, you're, you're really handling as many of your child's needs as possible. And for some of my, for some of my kids with ADHD, uh, sometimes that includes even just positive mindset work or just some breathing ex- exercises. Because for a lot of these kids, there's, there's a lot of built-up tension and stress that they might, might not even be aware of. And ultimately, there has to be an outlet somewhere. So incorporating a couple of these things into the bedtime routine, um, especially with my older kids, I find can be really helpful just to make sure everything is really nice and relaxed before bedtime. Yeah, and that routine, just having a routine gives a sense of safety and security. It, it's calming and soothing all on its own because they know what to expect. Um, some tools that we've used for a very long time since my son was six, um, weighted blanket has been mm-hmm. huge for us because he was a hyperactive little one. So he was a sensory seeker in that way and he needed that proprioceptive input to calm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I remember when he was before our diagnosis, before we really knew what his extra needs were, why things were happening necessarily, we had to create what we called the the taco. Mm. We had to put every pillow, every stuffed animal, every blanket, yeah. we had to squish it in. And that was the only way that he would even attempt to stay in bed and try to fall asleep. And so now, you know, we realize, oh, well, that's why the weighted blanket is helping. And he just needed that sense of kind of grounding. Yeah, um, exactly. And he, you know, we've we've been through several because now he's the size of a man at 17. Yeah. And so, you know, they've had to get bigger and heavier, but it's a real go-to for him. He will seek it out every night, even on his own. Um, it's not one of those accommodations that he refuses and says, I don't need that, you know, mm-hmm, like teens mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. Um, we also use sleep gummies that have some melatonin and some other th- things like chamomile in them mm-hmm. that are super helpful. Um, the Ollie brand is what we use. And we've also found like nature sounds or music playing when he's falling asleep has been helpful as well. Yeah. And then on really hard days, we use the Celestial Seasonings Sleepy Time Extra Tea. And that yeah. mm-hmm. wonders. That is good stuff. 
really helpful. So there's so many different kind of tools that you just have to figure out, you know, do they need some sensory input going on physically? Do they need, you know, something to focus on as far as sound or audio to kind of just key down? Because I think, and the same happens to me as well, our brains just run wild with thoughts if we have nothing to focus on. And so, you know, for some people, it's counterintuitive to have music or something playing, but it can be something to focus on so that your mind isn't just running and running exactly. um, to give the opportunity to sleep. So those are things that have worked for us. And I know a lot of other parents of kids with ADHD have used similar tools as well. Yeah. And I'll, I'll use a a combination of those things. I do, you know, I do realize that for my families, like you can kind of get swept up in weighted blankets and essential oils and this supplement and this melatonin. And Mm -hmm. I do, (laughs) I do want to try and keep it simple for families as well. So like, you know, we'll, we'll maybe start with a few of those things. And I really try and get my feed, you know, feedback from parents to say like, well, you know, we put this in and it, it was kind of hit or miss. So then we take it out. Um, because, you know, it's, I also realized that for, you want to just pick the things that are really working and successful rather than just keeping up with all of the, the extra stuff. And, you know, that combination. Yeah. I mean the weighted blanket or the compression sheet, like that's, that helps for some kids, but Mm -hmm. maybe not every kid. And with some children, it's worked wonders with just like a little bit of chamomile or a little bit of magnesium before bedtime. You know, sometimes it's like, that's all the kid really needs. And once the bedtime routine is in place, they have that it's smooth sailing, but it's not every child. Right. And I do find like just you got to find that right combination of bedtime rituals <laughs> uh, totally. leading That's up. different yeah. for everyone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, when you mentioned magnesium, it made me think of natural calm, which we've used at times. The yeah. powdered magnesium seems to work a lot better than um, taking like a pill of magnesium, at least for us it did. And it's super, super calming. I also was thinking about when you were talking about calming activities, reading a book or whatever, or doing some sort of mindfulness practice. Um, We love the Insight Timer app, which is full of thousands of free mindfulness practices. And I also use for myself, I use an app called Relax Melodies, where you can put together different like nature sounds or Zen sounds, and you can curate your own mix and then play it on a timer as you're falling asleep. And that's really helpful for me just to have some sort of background noise to focus on and drown out the what I should have done today and what I need to do tomorrow <laughs> string of thought in my head. Well, and I and for me, like for me, if if I were playing sound, that ne- wouldn't necessarily were like help me. But what I always do is I always, um, I always kind of like journal for a few minutes at the end of the day. So I just get it all out on paper and say, okay, it's all out. You're not going to forget it, but you're going to do it tomorrow. (laughs) Right. It's a good Um, idea. And this is something that I, I encourage with my parents because, you know, a lot of times, yes, the child, we're focusing on the child's sleep, but eh, you know, sometimes parents will open up to me and say, yeah, like I have a really hard time winding myself down. So that, that is a very common 
recommendation I'll give parents just because, again, there's so much to juggle from day to day and sometimes just kind of getting it out and just saying, okay, it's there, but we're going to worry about it tomorrow is, it, it can be very helpful. Yeah. We have to feel good to do good. Exactly. <laughs> that, you know, that requires a lot of self-care. It's something that I talk a lot about on this podcast yeah. and with parents is taking care of ourselves is taking care of our kids. We Absolutely. We feel better. We can do better for other people. And so sleep is a huge, huge piece of that. You know, yeah. it's fueling our brain. We can, our brain can't work as well the next day if we haven't had enough sleep. Exactly. And, you know, and I mean, for, for parents, yes, getting their sleep is, is crucial. And the thing that I always, I, I always try and remind my parents is like, look, you, you work really, really hard and you deserve a little bit of time to yourself. And I think that for, especially for a lot of special needs parents, um, letting themselves off the hook, even if it's just for a little bit, yes. um, can be really, really tough. And I, I ask parents very specific questions about like, well, how does it feel when, you know, your child's up at midnight and you have to be with them for hours and hours? Like, and a lot of times parents will just say, yeah, it's not only exhausting, but I've kind of lost myself a little bit. Like you are, you're always around your kid and it's always about your kid. And of course that, that is necessary, but you have to learn when to kind of put that on the back burner and just give yourself a little bit of time and Mm -hmm. making sure that your child is sleeping well, getting to bed early. This is a very easy way to kind of kill two birds with one stone. You know, your child's getting their sleep, but you're also getting a little bit of time to yourself and also getting a bit more sleep yourself, hopefully. But, you know, it's, it's okay to, to want that. And you need that. You absolutely do. Yeah, I so miss the time when my kids went to bed at 7.30 or 8 o'clock. <laughs> and I was always a stickler when my kids were little. Like we had a set bedtime and mm-hmm. we had a set bedtime routine. That was the one like really smart thing I did when they were little. And it it made a huge difference. And it gave me time then all to myself to just chill. And a lot of parents are then using that time to clean or do chores or whatever. And I was not that person. I was like, nope, this is my time to exactly. turn my brain off and chill out and start to recoup and rest to be ready for the next day. Yeah. So taking advantage of that time, you know, there's always dishes can sit in the sink a little while, you know, things don't have to be perfect. Take time for yourself too, wherever you can get it, because it's just as important. Again, it's whatever you do for yourself, you're also doing for your kids because you're going to be able to do better for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what, I can't remember the saying exactly, but like you can't, you can't serve from a, a glass half empty you or something like that. pour from an empty cup. <laughs> pour from an empty cup. Thank you. <laughs> you pour from an empty cup. Yep. And it's so true. Yeah. It's so absolutely. true. Let's talk then about strategies for staying asleep or strategies for middle of the night waking. Perfect. Um, there's a couple things I think that go into this. So a lot of times with my younger kids, so usually under the age of nine, you know, until to- and toddlers, um, I find a lot of times that when a kid is up, 
in the middle of the night. Um, there, there's definitely something neurological going on. Um, you know, our sleep does change a little bit. And I think for a lot of kids on the spectrum, a lot of kids who have been diagnosed with ADHD, not always, but a lot, um, making that transition from deep restorative sleep to the not so deep restorative sleep is a very difficult transition. So there's a lot of waking up around that. But something that I find helps a lot is really just making sure that your child is as independent as possible when it comes to falling asleep and staying asleep at night. And very often when I dig a little bit, I ask questions to parents like, okay, so what's really going on in the bedtime routine? Or how, how are you really handling those nighttime wake-ups? Very often, parents are giving a little bit too much help. And similarly to like, when, if we fall asleep, we fall asleep with our pillow and blanket. If we were to wake up in the middle of the night and those things were gone, we would not only wake up, but we would wake up very quickly and look for them and be kind of distressed like, well, what the heck happened? Like, where did yeah. they go? Um, so very often when a kid is, is falling asleep where they need mom or dad in some way at the beginning of the night, they're going to be looking for that help in the middle of the night as well. And we, we all do wake up, but it's just, we all know how to put ourselves back to sleep. And if a child is not quite secure in that ability yet, or they really don't know how to do it, those wake ups are going to be much more, they're going to be aggravated. Your child's going to be much more aware. And of course, you have that sensory component as well. A lot of these kids are, they're a bit more aware of their environment um, from, (laughs) you know, there's that kind of flight, fight, flight, fight, or freeze response. And that's still going at night. So when a child wakes up and they realize they're alone, they need that help, like that response becomes much bigger And it takes them a lot longer to calm down from it. So um, long story short, (laughs) uh, the the most important thing you can do is just really encourage your child to be as independent as possible as they go to sleep and when they wake up in the middle of the night. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, for some of my older kids, so beyond the age of 10 years old, like they know how to put themselves to sleep. But like I said, there are those nights where they are up at 1.30 it's going to be the long haul. They, they can't necessarily wind down easily. So what I do is I, I encourage parents to put a list of activities together that the child can do to try and keep their mind off of not sleeping. Because I think a lot of my older kids, they will kind of convince themselves that they're terrible sleepers. And they, they start to get stuck in that loop. And this was something that I learned working with adults and helping them improve their sleep. Like you, you have to have some don't just lie there activities. Uh, Cause when you just lie there and, <laughs> and you're rolling around for hours trying to get back to sleep, you really can get in a negative space. So, Oh yeah. Yeah. All <laughs> so, the time. Oh yeah. <laughs> the harder I try to sleep and don't, the more angry and frustrated I get. So the more I'm not exactly. sleeping. Yeah, exactly. It's a very vicious cycle and Mm -hmm. the kids will go through that as well. So um, some of those like quiet activities, I'll say, you know, maybe there's just a little box of Legos or you read books or you do puzzles and um, parents, I I try and encourage them to get their kid back into bed after about 30 minutes or so, try a little bit, but if it's not happening, 
go back to your don't just lie there activities. But they the activities have to be just boring enough that they're not so overstimulating. Yeah, I was going to say you have to put away anything that's going to be a huge distraction that they're going to stay up, you know, access exactly. to gaming or things that, you know, are extra stimulating are right. not a good idea. And I know my son would go through the house looking for stuff like that if he woke up during the night because that's what he was most interested in doing, whether it was helpful to him at that time or not. So you have to kind of make some boundaries and enforce them with stuff like that too, I would think. Exactly. And that like uh, that is just a way that parents and kid can kind of meet in the middle. And what parents are saying is, look, I'm really sorry. I know you're having a hard time getting to sleep. And I understand that that is difficult and that's challenging. Here are the things that you can do when you're, when you're struggling with your sleep. And ultimately, when you are feeling tired again and you've settled down, you can get back to bed. But at the same time, the kid is also saying, all right, you know, I know I'm not trying, I'm not getting back to sleep. This is really frustrating, but look, at least mom said I can do these things. Right. So as you said, like that boundary is really important. And I think that by giving, giving a couple of choices, it gives a little bit of wiggle room and a little bit of freedom. Um, but you're not giving, (laughs) you know, it's not like the whole plate, so to speak of possible activities. Right. One more thing I want to chat about real quickly before we wrap up is getting kids to sleep in their own bed and their own room. I see parents all the time saying, I still can't get my kid out of my bed. I've tried this and that and nothing's working. You know, they try the standard um, approaches for that. And so what are your strategies to help in that scenario? Well, first of all, I, I will say that again when I when I did, when I work with a family I dig a little bit dig a little bit um, a lot of times parents will try the the hundred walks back and forth between parents room and the kids room and incentives and this and that but a lot of times it it really just kind of boils down to they've tried a few things but nothing really was consistent or there wasn't a cohesive strategy. So maybe a couple nights they did it. Maybe the third night they were just so exhausted. It was like, oh, you know, screw this. All right. (laughs) We'll try again tomorrow night. Um, But one thing that I have found that really helps is before I make any changes with a kid's sleep, I have parents really prepare their child. So we make the bedtime routine checklist. It is written out with check boxes. So they know, all right, this is what I got to do. When it's time to really start making that separation and getting the kid out of your bed, I'll write a book and say, okay, you know, Joey, it's time to be a great sleeper. When we sleep, we get this kind of benefit. We do our routine. When Joey is in bed, he has to try and lay down and go to sleep. Mom and dad will check on him from time to time. So it's that social, I guess you could say social story, but um, it's a very clear way to say to the child, these are the changes that we're going to make and everything's going to be fine. And it's, it's a way to kind of give the kid a bird's eye view of the situation. Like, so they can kind of oversee and say, okay, this is what, this is what dad's doing now. Like, okay, I get it. And ultimately when it comes time to hit the go button, so to speak and say, okay, this is it. We're, you know, 
he's going to be in his own bed. She's going to be in her own bed and it's, it's no more coming to parents. Um, I find that with that second attempt, when they have everything written out and it's super clear to the kid, uh, it goes a lot more smoothly. Um, I'm not saying that there aren't, there are bumps in the road, (laughs) but it goes a lot more smoothly. And, you know, the consistency component of it, it's, it's tough. It's the most challenging part when it comes to making changes with sleep. But what we have to remember is that for any average person, it takes at least three weeks to really learn a new habit and get it solidified. So if you've tried, you know, just walking your child back and forth, you've tried incentives or rules or things like that, you have to keep that in mind that it's going to take more than just a couple of nights. But once you've said, okay, this is the change we're going to make. You just got to go all in and just stick with it and it will happen. But like I said, those visuals and having kind of like a step-by-step, this, this is what you can expect from mom or dad can be, it can be a game changer uh, yeah. when it comes to finally making these changes. And teaching kids to fall asleep on their own, I think is a big yeah. piece of, of that struggle too is so often you know, I see parents say, okay, well, I went in their room and I laid with them until they fell asleep. So they were in their bed, but then I wake up at three o'clock in the morning and they're in my bed again. And I would yeah. say that's probably because they woke up and didn't know how to put themselves back to sleep. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and it's such an easy trap to fall into for parents. Of course, we want to, you know, snuggle up with our littles and read them a book and help them fall asleep, you know, and we don't realize that we might be sort of creating a monster that's going to be really tough to deal with down the road, right? You're you're right. I mean, there's, it's such a, it's kind of a nice way to have that like real one-on-one completely like disconnected, like no phones, no nothing. It's just really that close time. But Again, it, it, like you said, it does start to become a little monster <laughs> in the sense yeah. that if a child really doesn't have that space to start figuring it out, it, it can become a big problem down the line. And again, I, I've worked with enough kids who are 11, 13, 16, who still need that help in some way. And ultimately, it's not because they really need it. It's just because they're not sure of themselves yet how to really do it. And you you got to give your child that opportunity to to figure that out, but in a way that they still feel supported and, you know, like that you're not completely abandoning them. Yeah. And that can be a tough balance. Exactly. Um, but it can happen. And I think that, you know, for a lot of my parents that I work with, they they're a little concerned at first, like, okay, is my child really going to understand this? Or can my child really learn how to do this? And very quickly, once they start to put some of these things into place, they realize, oh, okay, yeah, no, they completely understand everything. I might have been manipulated over the last couple of <laughs> years. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, they see very quickly just how much potential their child has. And um, what their child is capable of doing. And that, you know, that alone, even if the sleep situation is not 100% perfect in the end, um, that that's a big relief and a big uh, realization for parents to see like, okay, yes, my, my child can do this and they can finally be independent with something. And 
that's a huge thing to celebrate for any kid, regardless of their diagnosis. Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, so often I know that my kids can do something, but they don't know yet. They're not confident yet. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to impart. We have to show them. They have to, so often they have to experience it. Us saying, I know you can do this doesn't really make them feel better most of the time. They have to experience that they can do it and feel comfortable with that. And so much of, of that process really depends on that. And, you know, undoing habits is a lot harder than creating habits in the first place that are healthy. Absolutely. You know, starting out as young as possible with these good sleep habits will help everybody in the house get better sleep for a long time. Yeah. And, and the f- sleep for the family, not just your child, is, is huge. And, um, you know, I actually, um, you know, for, for those people who are listening, I've put together some videos uh, just to kind of outline really the foundations of what I, I teach my families um, day in and day out. And I'm happy to say that a lot of parents have just taken this information from the videos and have made some really great changes when it comes to their child's sleep, but also their sleep, their family's sleep. So awesome. yeah, there's, there's a lot of very simple things, um, but a very powerful things you can do to, to really start helping your, your child get the rest they need. Yeah. And I will link that up in the show notes as well as uh, Melissa's freebie for everybody, a free download on sleep health for your child with special needs and her website and social media links. All of that will be in the show notes for you to take advantage of and to connect and learn more from Melissa. And those show notes for this episode are found at Parenting adhdandautism.com slash 091 for episode 91. I really appreciate you being here with us, Melissa, and sharing a little bit of your time and wisdom with the audience. Well, thank you, Penny. And, um, you know, thank you so much for, for the opportunity. And, and anybody and everybody listening to this, I, I wish you all... Much better, well-rested nights uh, <laughs> moving forward. <laughs> Good sleep for all. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I think that wraps up. I will see everybody on the next episode. Thanks for joining me on the Parenting ADHD podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share. And don't forget to check out my online courses, parent coaching, and mama retreats at parentingadhdandautism.com.